we're continuing this series today and we're actually finishing up our summer stretch series. So if you haven't been here for much of the series, we've been going through a book in the Bible called Second Thessalonians and we've been talking about stretching our faith and uh, stretching out in the things that God um, has for us. And I want to start by asking a question to you today and it may seem like a strange question, but I want to ask you, why are you here today? Why are you here today? You may think, well, Alex, that's a really strange question to ask. Why am I here? I'm in church. It's obvious why I'm here. Most of you will say, well, I'm here to worship God. Uh, Maybe there's a few single folks here this morning. You may be here just to try to find a mate. But uh, the majority of us this morning, uh, we are here to worship God. So why would you ask that question? Why are you here today? Well, I want to go a little deeper into that question, and I want to ask a few more questions to you. I want to ask you, are you here this morning to receive or to give? Are you here to receive or to give? Or are you here to work for God or are you here for God to work for you? Are you here to work for God or are you here so that God can work for you? Are you here to serve others or are you here for others to serve you? Are you here to serve others or are you here for others to serve you? So I want you to think about some of those questions this morning as we just continue looking at the second book of Thessalonians. Now, when I was a kid, I grew up in a country that uh, appreciated the greatest game that has ever been played. And uh, it is a game that is played all over the world. Americans are starting to embrace this game, but still haven't got to a place where they realize it really is the greatest game of all time. We're not talking about Monopoly. Uh, you know, we're not talking about apples to apples because that's a great game. We're not talking about baseball or basketball. Uh, we are talking about a game that is called football, but it's the real football. Over here in these parts, we call it soccer. Soccer. I don't know where we got that name from, but the rest of the world calls it football. And it's a game where guys run around a field and they kick what they call a soccer ball and uh, they try to get it into a goal. And it really is the greatest game that has ever been created because it, it, it not only is competitive, it not only is fun to play and fun to watch, but it, it is a game that anyone can play anywhere. Uh, you can pick up a game of uh, football or soccer anywhere in the world. All you need is a soccer ball. It doesn't cost a bunch of money. For those of you, you got kids in baseball or in football, and you know it costs a bunch of money. Well, soccer is pretty cheap. All you need is a soccer ball. And, and, and the reason I call it the greatest game that has ever been played is because you can go to Brazil and you can go to the back streets of Brazil, and you can find kids kicking a soccer ball around. You can go to the manicured lawns of the United States of America, and you can go to a soccer field, and you can see hundreds of parents with their callers in their tents on the sidelines while their kids in their perfect uniforms are playing soccer. You can go to the United Kingdom and you can go out on a Saturday morning to a local park and you can see a mud fest because it's raining and kids still don't care because they're out kicking a soccer ball. You can go to the beaches of Australia and you can find people kicking a soccer ball. You can go to even the 
mountainous areas of the Himalayas and you will find that there are kids kicking a soccer ball. And, and when I grew up, there probably was not a day that went by that I did not kick a soccer ball at some point. You would think that my soccer skills are like amazing now, but they're really not. I don't know what happens. I mean, but, uh, but we grew up playing soccer almost every day, even after church. We had a basement in our church. We would go down after church and we'd go kick a soccer ball. Even so much so that the, 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 the elders and the board at the church once had a meeting, whether to allow us to play soccer in the church or not, whether that was a holy thing or not. I couldn't believe they wasted their time. We still, even though I think some didn't want us, we still played soccer because we love this game. But this is what I noticed about being a kid when we grew up. We just played pickup games of soccer. Just pick up games of soccer. We would just get together with our buddies and we would just start playing. And within a couple of minutes, we've picked sides and we're playing the game. Now, what, what you will find, and you find it especially around this area, people love their sports and they love having their kids in their sports. So now you see three-year-olds out on a soccer field, which is just like crazy. They've just learned to walk and now we're like demanding them being sports because that's our scholarship to to college or whatever so we, 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 we get kids and, and, and we get them and, and we're so rigid in all that we do and, and we make sure they wear the uniform and they've got to follow the rules and then the parents have to bring the snacks and it becomes this big huge thing it's like oh my word we've got to take the kids to soccer practice five nights a week and eventually the kids just get burnt out and they don't like it and so they go and play American football which isn't really real football and, and, and what you find in the rest of the world it's a little different. It's a little bit more organic. Organic Kids just get together and play soccer. You won't go to Italy or Spain or Portugal or Brazil where really the best soccer players in the world come around and you won't find this rigid uh, league that like three and four-year-olds have to play in because kids just get a soccer ball and enjoy it. But this is what I noticed as a kid. Everybody wanted to play. Everybody wanted to play soccer. So we get, get together and everybody ended in the game. There wasn't one kid that said, you know what? You guys play. I'm going to sit on the sidelines and watch you. Because that didn't happen. If that happened, we would laugh the kid off and say, goodbye. You're not welcome with us. Every kid wanted to be in the game. And when it comes to things like sports, we want to be in the game, right? We want to play. It's all very well sitting on the sidelines and watching, but we want to be in the game, which makes me really confused because I wonder why is it when we come to church and live in a life for Christ, so many of us are just willing to stand on the sidelines and we don't want to get in the game. But we, we turn up at church half the time. And this isn't us at Generation Church, this is other churches. So, uh, but we turn up at church and we turn up with our spiritual caller. We put up our religious tents and we do our churchy tailgating, which in church we call it potlucks. And, uh, and we sit on the sideline and we, we relax and uh, we just watch everyone else do all the work and play in the game. I, I hear it so often to, today more than I've ever heard before. And I've heard so many people say it. And this is what they say, I just want to go to a church where I can just slip in the back and slip out and nobody notice me, where I'm not pressured to help, I don't have to do anything. I just come to church and go and, and nobody even notices if I'm not there. And I hear it so often and really when I hear that, this is what I'm hearing. People saying, I just want to sit on the sidelines. I don't want to play in the game, I just want to sit on the sidelines and I want to watch. But this is what I'm here to tell you today. 
And maybe you're here today and you're just watching and maybe you're new and that's fine and checking us out. But there's some of you, you may be here and you're just watching all what's going on and you're just happy sitting on the sideline. And I'm here to tell you today that church is not a professional sports event where you pay to spectate. Church is not a professional sports event. Uh, event where you pay to spectate. It's not a concert where you go to hear. It's like, oh, the band are playing. I'm going to go and hear the band and because they're awesome. They do these really good licks on their guitar and stuff. Church is not a lecture where you've come to learn. You didn't come here this morning to learn. Even though there is learning involved in church, It's not a concert to hear. It's not a lecture to come and learn. It's actually a place where people from all walks of life come and join in community with each other while working together for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a place where everyone is in the game. There's no sidelines. Everybody is in the game. And here at Generation Church, one of the things that we believe is that there's no sidelines here at Generation Church. So when you come into this church, there are two options for you. And the first option is this. You're in the game. You're in the game and you're you're part of the community and you're helping and you're serving and you're helping move the mission of Jesus forward. Or you are on the treatment table because you are too hurt or injured to help in the game. And what I mean by that, there's people over the years who have come into our church and they have come and they've been hurt by life. They are injured and they're uh, they're scarred by different things in life. They've come in and they've been burnt out. And and one thing I've always told our leaders, if we see people coming and they're hurt and they're burnt, we're not going to ask them to serve right away because they need time to heal. They're on the treatment table. But once they're healed, it's time to get back in the game. See, that you don't get any professional sports player who, who, who decides, you know what, I, I'm injured, I, I'm going to take my paycheck, and I'm never going to play again. Because the goal of every single sports person is to be out there in the, on the field, playing, trying to do their best. And even when they're on the treatment table, they still want to get back out there. So here at Generation Church, there's two options. You can be in the game or you can be on the treatment table. There's no sidelines at all. And so if we're not injured and we don't need time out to heal, then we should be working. We should be in the game. And so this morning, if you want to turn in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians, as we finish this series up this morning, we're going to look at the last part of chapter 3. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and I'm going to start reading from verse 6. And this is what it said. Now, dear brothers and sisters... We give you this command in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stay away from all believers who live idle lives and don't follow the tradition that they received or the way of doing life that they received from us. For you know that you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you. We never accepted food from anyone without paying for it. We worked hard day and night, so we would not be a burden to any of you. We certainly had the right to ask you to feed us, but we wanted to give you an example to follow. Even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and meddling in in other people's business. 
We command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and work to earn their own living. As the rest of you, dear brothers and sisters, never, ever get tired of doing good. Take note of those who refuse to obey what we say in this letter. Stay away from them so they will be ashamed. Don't think of them as enemies, but warn them as you would a brother or sister. So here are the church at Thessalonica. There was a growing number of believers and people who were coming into the church and they were sponging off other people. They were refusing to work and expecting the church to provide for their needs. Now, back in New Testament times, it was a little different than it was today. If you were somebody who, who didn't want to work, today you can just go to the government, right, and ask for some money. And I believe that the government will give you money. I don't, I don't know. But in those days, it was different. Because in those days, if you didn't want to work, you starved. There was no government to give you handouts at all. There was no benefits. There, were, there, there was nothing at all. If you did not work, you starved. And so, what people who were lazy would often do, they would find good-natured people like you and me. And they would come with a sob story of why we can't work. And we would try, they would try to take money off them. And so the natural place to go is a church, right? It's a church. Because there's good-natured people, people who want to do the best, people who, who, who want to be compassionate to others. And so there were an increasing amount of people coming into this church in Thessalonica who refused to work and were coming in and they were trying to sponge off other people. And it wasn't that they were hurt or they were injured or they just couldn't work. It's just that they didn't want to work at all. And so there was an issue going on. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, talking to one of the ladies in our church, and she owns a business, and uh, she was telling me about one of her employees who had just quit. And she'd quit that previous Friday. And, uh, I, and I said to her, I said, I says, oh, that's going to be a pain. I'm like, it's always hard to find new employees. And she said, she says, well, yeah, but th- this woman just didn't have it together. And she was telling me, she says that this woman was working 20 hours a week uh, for her. And uh, she wouldn't work anymore, only wanted to work 20 hours a week. And she came and she, the reason she quit is because she needed more money to be able to survive. She needed to be paid more. And so the, the lady in our church who owns this business said to her, says, well, I can't pay you anymore, but you can work more. And she says, no, no, I can't work anymore. And then what she found out was at home, she had a boyfriend who refused to work at all, didn't want to work at all. So didn't do anything with his day. And then she had kids and she would only work 20 hours a week. That was it. And she expected to be able to make a livelihood of only working 20 hours a week. And it's the same sort of thing that was happening in the church of Thessalonica. That there were people coming in and they didn't want to put in the hard work. They didn't want to sweat. They didn't want to grind. They didn't want to get dirty and work. And they were expecting others to help them out. And so Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they come and they address it. And this is what they say. It's kind of shocking. Stay away from all believers who are idle in their lives. 
Stay away from all believers. I, I don't really recall in the Bible many other places where we're told to stay away from people. We're never told away to stay away from people who are sinful. We're, we're told to reach out to them. But here we're told, stay away from people who are living idle lives. We're told in Thessalonians to work and to work hard. And then Paul and Silas and Timothy, who wrote Thessalonians, said this, never get tired of doing good. And I know for, for those of you who are working and you're working hard and, and you're working for your family and you're working for, in your careers and you're working in the church and sometimes it gets hard and, and you just want to quit and you want to give up. But Paul, Silas and Timothy said this, never get tired of doing good. And then they say, we are an example to you. They said, we paid our own way. We could have asked you for money, but instead we came and paid our own way. We worked hard. And they basically, they're telling the believers at the church of Thessalonica, okay, guys, it's time to get to work. If you want to be a light to the world, you need to show the world that people of Jesus work hard. So get to work. But the problem is with people who work hard is they often, who refuse to work hard, they often have a lot of time on their hands. Now, there's an old saying that many of you may, may know and may have heard, and this is the saying. It's idle hands are the devil's workshop, right? Anyone ever heard of that saying before? Idle hands are the devil's workshop. Not many of you. Where have you been? You need to be more cultured people. Thank you. And idle hands are the devil's workshop. Now, a lot of people think that this is a biblical scripture, and they'll go searching through it, and it's actually not a biblical scripture. But it's got its roots in the Bible, and it's got its roots exactly here in Second Thessalonians. Uh, and basically what they're saying is when you are idle, it means that the devil can come and, and, and compromise your life, and it can come and affect your life, and, 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 and really kind of run over your life. And what this is telling us here in Second Thessalonians are those who are idle, are those who the enemy can often come in and can affect. That they, they tell us that those people who are idle are often those who start meddling in other people's lives and start complaining. I've noticed through my years and my life and just years of being in church leadership and just being in church in general, that often those who are idle, those who refuse to work, or those who refuse to get involved, those who just want to sit on the sidelines, often are often more likely those who start to meddle in other people's lives, who cause gossip, who start to cause conflict in the church, and even divisions and issues in the church. Think about it this way. When you go to your next sports event, for those of you who like sports, whether you go to, to, to go see the Orioles or you're going to go see the Ravens or, or even if you're just like going to take, you know, a little Johnny to go and play soccer or football or baseball, there's always one guy and you don't have to look very far to find him. And it's often a guy, sorry guys, but girls aren't as bad as this, but it's often one guy and he is shouting out to the players and to the coach exactly what he thinks of them. Always the guy who always knows more than the coach knows. Knows what the coach should be doing and why the coach is making a bad decision. He's shouting out to the players that they're not fit enough, they're not good enough, they're not skilled enough. And he wants everybody to hear exactly what he thinks of him. And so you hear this guy and often you get irritated and you look around and you look and you think, that's the guy? 
Because it's obvious that guy has never played sports in his whole life, right? It is often that guy. And this is what was happening in the church of Thessalonians. There were people who just wouldn't get involved, but they started shouting and telling everyone else what to do. Getting involved in other people's lives and muddling around in their lives. They were causing divisions in the church, but yet they just want to sit from the sidelines and hollow out to everybody else who was in the game. And so that's why Paul, Silas, and Timothy says, you stay away from these people. They're, they're, they're going to cause problems. They're going to cause issues in your life. See, to be idle means to just stay in the same state, not, not to move, not, 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 not to evolve, not, 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 not to develop. And the way that we counter this is by, by continue, continuing to move and, and to continue to, to, to press forward. And there are times in our lives when we need to rest and it's healthy to rest and it's healthy to stop and heal at times. And some of you, you're in that place in your life where you need to rest and you need to stop and you need to heal. But we have to be careful that our rest doesn't turn into idleness. For when we rest too long, it becomes very hard to get going again. Last week, we just finished our week of prayer and fasting and I fasted for, for, for the week and this year, I've, I've been like on a fitness goal, you know, to try and get my, myself mentally, physically, spiritually healthy. And, and so I've been working out like five days a week this, this, this year. And I haven't been like religious every single week, but I've been doing pretty good. Well, when I fasted, I decided not, not to fast. And there went nine days that I didn't work out at all. So Monday morning, I got food back in my stomach and I'm like, I'm ready to work out. My alarm goes off at 5.30. I got out of bed at 7 o'clock. I was like, okay, not today. Tuesday came along. My alarm went off at 5.30 again. At 6.15, I pulled myself out of bed, and I did this workout that I thought was going to kill me. And then I was like, I'm back, back in the saddle. I can do it. Wednesday morning came. Failed to work out again. Thursday night came. My wife was like, we're working out. I'm like, I don't work out at night, babe. She's like, you're working out with me. I thought I was going to die after I finished it. And I haven't worked out since. See, it's tough. Once you rest, trying to get back in the game is hard. And the longer we rest, the harder it is to get back in the saddle, to get back in the game. And some of you, you came into this church, you were hurt, you, you were injured, you, you were burnt out, and you needed rest. But some of you, you've got to that point where you've rested and it's time to get back in the game. It's time to get back in the saddle. It's time to get off the sidelines, get off the treatment table because you're ready to go. And and, and if you want to be someone who is pressing forward in your faith, then you need to be someone who keeps moving and keeps moving. And so very quickly this morning, and I mean very quickly, there's three things, three ways I wanted to share with you how you can stop being idle in your life, in your spiritual lives in your physical lives, in your relationship lives. And the first way is this. Don't be idle in serving. Don't be idle in serving. This Christian life is not one where you get to lie on a sun lounger all day. And you come into church and you lay down and the greeters come and they feed you grapes. And they come and they bring you drinks. And if you want a pina colada or if you want, you know, just a a soda and they come and bring you one. This Christian life isn't one where where you just sit back and you relax and you listen to the band, play some background music. 
you know, while, you know, you, you, you sup on your iced tea. That, that's not what this Christian life is about. And if you want that, then go to the country club because that's not church. See, church is a little different. Church is all about serving. And Jesus tells us in Matthew 20, 28, he said that I've come not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, imitate us as we imitate Christ. What he was saying, he says, as we serve and as Christ serves, so you also must imitate that attitude and you need to serve. You need to be a servant to others. There's a member of my family uh, who will remain nameless, uh, not immediate family, but he, he's a pastor and he is the laziest person I've ever met in my whole life. You've all got one of those, right? Somebody, a cousin, an auntie, an uncle, you know, someone who's, that's the lazy one. This is the person who, who gets up late in the morning and sits and expects everybody else to serve him. He, 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 he expects everyone else to make him cups of tea because he's from the UK and that's all anyone drinks is tea. That's it. And, and he expects his wife to go to work and then come back and clean the whole house and cook and everything and, and everyone else to do stuff for him. I don't think I've never seen that guy sweat in my whole life. And while that guy is a great Bible teacher, I don't have respect for him because he doesn't want to get his hands dirty. He doesn't want to work. Jesus says, I've come to serve, not to be served. And if we're to imitate Christ, we need to be servants. We need to be constantly thinking, how can I serve others? That is the kind of Christian life that matters, those who serve. And so I'm going to ask you a really tough question today. And, and, and it may take time to process this one. But this is the question I really want to ask you. How's your serving going at church? How's your serving going at church? To serve means to distribute what you have to another. To distribute what you have to another. What are you distributing to this church? What are you distributing to this church? Let me help you just a little to think through that question. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 and 11, it tells us this. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself was speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and the energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. What are the gifts that God has given you? What, 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 are, what are the abilities that God has given you where you can serve and you can help others? Because if you have those gifts, then you should use them well to serve others. We're told in, uh, in, in Romans that if you have leadership ability, then take it seriously. We're told again in Romans that, 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 that if you can teach, then teach well. If you can serve others or if you are hospitable, then welcome others well in all that you do. What are the gifts that God has given you? How are you distributing those gifts to other people? hate to be harsh. I don't like to be harsh, but if you're not using the gifts that God has given you to serve, then you're being idle. You're being idle. Second way that we can discover or stop ourselves from being idle is this. Don't be idle in your giving. Don't be idle in your giving. Now, Christians hate to talk about money. 
We think it's the cuss word of church that anyone talks about money, everyone cringes. It was like, I'm glad I didn't invite my friend today because somebody's talking about money. Because that's what we think. Church is all about money. But the reality is this. Money is real. We need money. You can't survive without money. This church needs money because we can't do what we do without money. And the fact is, the Bible talks about money a gazillion more times than he talks about marriage. And we're all really happy with talking about marriage at times. Money is a reality. And as a believer of Jesus, you shouldn't be someone who just serves others with your gifts. You also should be someone who gives of your resources. I found over the years that often the biggest critics in churches are those who never give a dime to the church. And I also discovered that there is something holy and spiritual about giving money to the Lord's work. And while money isn't everything, and if someone gives money to the church, it doesn't mean that they're super holy now and, and, and they've got it all together. But what it does show, it shows the heart. It shows the heart of somebody. When you are willing to give of your resources to others, to the work of Jesus Christ. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Verses 1. Now regarding your question about the money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem, you should follow the same procedure I gave to the churches in Galatia. On the first day of each week, you should put aside a portion of the money you have earned. Don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it all at once. When I come, I will write letters of recommendation for the messengers you choose to deliver the gift to Jerusalem. What Paul is saying here, saying there was a special offering that they were taking for the believers in Jerusalem. And he said this, he says, what I want you to do, I want you to make it a practice. And I've told this to other churches, put money aside what you earn each week, put it aside and then give it each week to the local church. That's what Paul Paul is saying there. And, and many people, they don't believe in giving. They say it's, a new, it's an Old Testament thing. Well, Paul is very much saying, you need to give. You need to give of your resources to the local church. And I'm not, I'm not this isn't a money talk, and we're, we're going to move on in just a second. But the truth is, those who refuse to give are often those who try to take the most out of the church. That's what I've seen in my life. But those who give, there is something holy and beautiful about it. On Friday night, uh, my wife and myself, we went out for dinner and we met a musician who has played a few times at Generation Church before and just a friend of ours and and it was great to see him. I haven't seen him for many years. He played with us back when we were uh, at the movie theater and, and he was someone, he was always in and out of church and he just started talking to us about how he's playing for this church um, down uh, by the airport and uh, just really growing in his faith. And he started talking to me about money. I mean, I didn't bring it up. He started talking to me about money. And he says, Pastor Alex, he says, this is what I discovered. He says that when you give, it's like God just opens your world up to new things. He goes, when I started giving, I got all these gigs. I couldn't believe it. And I'm not saying you give and immediately God like rewards you with all this stuff. But it suddenly started realizing the resources God's given me, I need to give to others so I don't be idle. And the last way this morning, don't be idle in living holy lives. 
Don't be idle in living holy lives. One thing that you should do on a regular basis is check your holiness temperature. Check your holiness temperature. For those of you who have ever been in Weight Watchers, this is what you do. There's a day of a week that you get so excited about. It's called your weighing day. Every day, people who are in Weight Watchers, they come to every week, they come together and they have a weigh-in. And they basically check their weight and then you either cry off the scales or you jump with excitement off the scales because you've either gained weight or you've lost weight. But the whole point of the weekly weigh-in is, is to test and measure how well you are doing in losing that weight. And in the same way, it is good for you in your spiritual life to check and to measure how your holiness temperature is getting on. It's good to measure how your life is being changed and renewed by Jesus Christ. If there's no change in your life, or your spiritual belly is getting a little bit more flabby than it should, then you're probably suffering from being idle too long. So you say, well, how do I do that? It's very practical. Look at some of the things in your life. Am I a nicer person? Am I a more patient person? Do I have more joy in my life? Am I a better husband or a better father or mother or, or wife? Uh, I, I, am I a better co-worker? Do people like me more or do they like stay away from me? Am, am I discovering that I'm reading my Bible a little bit more? Is prayer become a stable part of my life? Am I gossiping less? These are all ways that you can check your holiness temperature. Am I becoming more like Jesus? Am I being changed and renewed by Jesus? Am I becoming Christ-like? Because the more we become like Jesus, the less chance we are of becoming idle. The problem in, with becoming idle as a Christian is that you are in fact stopping the work of Jesus. Did you know Christ wants you in the game? Christ wants you in the game. He wants you in the game. He doesn't want you standing on the sidelines. He wants you in the game, making a difference. But for those who want to stay on the sidelines, there's a warning that Paul, Silas, and Timothy, who wrote 2 Thessalonians, make to everyone. And the warning isn't for you, it's for everybody else. They say, stay away from them. The mission of Jesus is too important. The time is running out way too quick to be able to sit in our sports chair on the sidelines watching everybody else. In my experience, I've never ever watched a believer of Jesus who refused to give, who refused to serve, who refused to develop in their faith, become all that Christ wanted for them or all that they wanted for their life. So, make sure you're serving. Make sure you're giving. Make sure you're growing to become more like Jesus. Proverbs 24, verse 30 says this. I walked by the field of a lazy person. The vineyard of one with no common sense. I'm sure all of you, you've gone for a walk one day and you're walking by someone's house and you look over and you see an unkept lawn. You see weeds and bushes just overgrowing. And you look and you think, wow, that person just doesn't take care of their property. If you're like me, there's something within me that just suddenly wants to like walk a little faster. 
get past so I see something nice again. The writer of Proverbs, he's saying, I've walked by a field of a lazy person, the vineyard of one with no common sense. I saw it was overgrown with nettles. It was covered with weeds and its walls were broken down. Then as I looked and thought about it, I learned this lesson. A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. This is what the writer of Proverbs is saying. If you want to sit on the sidelines, then watch out. Because the enemy can come and attack you and you will be wide open to attack. You may start seeing the work of God in your life a little less. You may start experiencing spiritual poverty. And all that you dream for, for God to do in your life, may be a long way away. Why? Because Jesus wants you in the game. Let's bow our heads in prayer. That's why your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed this morning. Some of you, you you are working hard for the Lord. You're doing great things for God. But some of you, you may be getting a little tired in just your work for God. I want to encourage you this morning with the words of Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Never get tired of doing good. What you are doing is good. You are making a difference. Eternity is going to be thankful for the work that you are doing. Keep moving. Keep pressing forward. And watch God do great things in your life. But there's others of you this morning. You're on the treatment table right now. You're a little hurt. Life has just thrown some darts at you. Some of you, you may be a little burnt out. You may be a little discouraged. And it's okay to sit back and rest for a while and heal. But make sure you don't stay on that treatment table too long. Don't become idle on that treatment table. For as soon as you start to heal, it's time to get back in the game. Then there's others here this morning and You're sitting on the sidelines. You're not really contributing to the family of faith. And you know you have so much to give. But you've just been happy watching other people. When it comes to the kingdom of God, there are no sidelines. Jesus did not die on a cross and work in your life and save you from sin so that you could just sit and chill and relax. He's called you for greater things, greater purposes. And He wants you in the game. And so if you are someone who's sitting on the sidelines right now, I would encourage you, start praying 
to God and asking God, help me to find ways that I can distribute my gifts to the work of Jesus Christ. And then practically, just start getting involved and serving because Jesus wants you in the game. So Father...